Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Weekly Racing Roundup. I'm your host, Racecar Dave. Feeling a little worse for wear this weekend, as I stayed up way too late last night and got up way too early this morning to keep tabs on the exciting action at the 24 Hours of Daytona. In addition to that, we had WRC at Rally Monte Carlo, a really solid, gripping four-day battle there. And if that wasn't enough, we also had two scoops of Formula E from Saudi Arabia. All right, let's not waste any time. Let's get into the action and let's see what we saw this weekend. All right, top of the order this week was WRC at Monte Carlo. We had a very exciting duel between Thierry Novel and Sebastian Ogier. Two of only three men who have won this rally in the last 15 to 17 years. If you weren't French and named Sebastian, you had to be Thierry Novel in about the last decade and a half to even have a chance at this rally. It opened up Thursday with two runs through a special stage at night. The stage was lined with spectators and fireworks and dance music. It was a sight to behold. But as the pundits had predicted, Elfin Evans came out strong on the opening stage, putting 15 seconds into people over only 22 kilometers of stages. At the end of Thursday, we had El- uh, Evans in first, Thierry Noville in the first of the Hondas in second, Seb Auger a further six seconds back in third. Oit Tannock in the second of the Hondas in fourth, 22 seconds back. First of the Fords with Formier in uh, fourth, fifth place. Katsuka in the second of the, uh, the third of the Toyotas in sixth, and then Munster down in seventh. On Friday, they started early. They started early in the morning, and it's cold and icy, and a lot of this Monte Carlo rally is running the hills that are kind of over Nice and Monte Carlo, so this time of year, it could be treacherous. I know the, uh, the rally is listed as a tarmac rally, but it should be just kind of listed as a black ice rally. Uh, what ended up happening is that uh, early in the day, uh, Oitanik managed to lose control of the car, spin out into a ditch, need the competitors to push him out of a ditch, and he lost 40 seconds. What did end up happening, unfortunately, to Evans, who had been fastest on the first day, is his hybrid system went down, and he lost time all day on Saturday. Uh, Sebastian Auger managed to strike first on Saturday morning, taking the opening stage win and going on to take three stage wins for the rest of the day. But he was right there with Thierry Novel also winning three stages on the day. They were going at it hammer and tongs all day on Saturday. All that changed around stage nine on Saturday when a particularly diligent work by the Hyundai Rally road crew gave Thierry Noble some very thorough notes and allowed him to push very aggressively, putting 19 seconds into the field on one stage. That put him in a very good position and kind of ultimately beyond the reach of Sebastian Auger for the rally. They went on to trade stage wins for the rest of the day on Saturday and then again on Sunday, ultimately letting Novel win the rally by 16 seconds over Auger. Elfin Evans was a in third place, 45 seconds back again, having lost the hybrid power system Saturday morning. Oit Tannock in his return to Hyundai 
recovered from some early accidents and a few engine issues to get back to fourth place. Uh, he did show strong pace on Saturday afternoon and on Sunday, but he had lost too much time earlier. The first of the Fords came home in fifth place, and then Hyundai's uh, new part-time driver uh, promoted WRC2 champion Mickelson finished in sixth place uh, five minutes back from the lead. Uh, me telling you this isn't doing it justice, unfortunately, but it was an incredible duel. Stage ones were traded back and forth all day, and if you get a chance to go ahead and check out any of the uh, recap videos online, they make for some very exciting viewing. They will be back in two weeks. The WRC boys up in Sweden are going to bolt on the studded tires and show us how to drive really fast through the woods at night on snow. The 24 Hours Daytona, a race that started with 59 cars and 228 drivers and ended in a slick pit stop with 20 minutes to go to decide the race. All right, how did we get there? The action started hot and heavy. Uh, the front end of the field staying pretty much to order with the, the two Cadillacs running up front. The Porsches following a little bit further back into the field. Early casualty was one of the class-leading Lexus GTD Pro cars tripping over an LMP2 car. We'll see that it was a common theme, LMP2 cars being roving chicanes, at least early in the race. The new Mustang GTD car, which uh, did not qualified particularly well and did get a little nerfed on BOP, was able to move up the GTD field early in the running and was running as high as third place before sundown. Also, the new Pratt & Miller Corvette, kind of its arch nemesis, was also running very strongly in GTD. Uh, until sunset, it was looking very Cadillac-centric at the front, though. Both the 01 and the 31 cars were able to pull gaps on... Uh, all the other cars, particularly the Penske Porsches and uh, the Wayne Taylor cars, which have won this race three years in a row, were uh, lagging behind a little bit. Things kind of stabilized around dinner time, but progressing after sunset is where things started to fall apart for people. One of the first cars to go out uh, of the leading contenders was the number 10 Wayne Taylor racing car that was pulled off track due to a mysterious electrical fire smell, and then ultimately it stopped on track, bringing out a full-course caution. Not long after that, the leading 01 Chip Ganassi Cadillac being piloted by Sebastian Bourdais, and while attempting to overtake a slower driver, picked up a, a puncture from debris and then ran wide at the second of the horseshoe turns. Uh, time was lost getting back to the pit uh, to repair the puncture, but ultimately additional damage that had occurred during that accident led to that car being withdrawn at about hour 20. The other thing that appeared to be withdrawn later into the evening was the pace of the Cadillacs. Pippo Durrani put in a huge set over the evening, and he had been one of the most aggressive drivers watching that man drive through 
Traffic is definitely something to behold. He goes 10 tenths the entire time he's in the car. But despite his efforts, both of the Penske cars started showing their pace starting around 11 o'clock and through the evening part of the hours. Uh, the speculation being that the Cadillac car worked a lot better when the track temperature was warm, but as the track cooled down, the Porsche 963 GTPs were a little bit stronger on pace. Things kind of ran that way through the evening until sunup. At sunup, uh, we started establishing who was actually going to viably be running for the win of this race. At the front of the field, we still had the 31 wheel in Cadillac, uh, followed by a whole gang of Porsches. Uh, two of the Penske Porsches and one of the customer Porsche 963s were still all running on the lead lap, as well as the number 40 Wayne Taylor car, the second of the Wayne Taylor racing entries. In GTD Pro, the number one BMW uh, from Paul Mullins Motorsports appeared to be setting the pace. Both of the Pratt & Miller Corvettes were still in the running. And the number 62 Rizzi Competizione Ferrari 296. An interesting car, a car whose driving crew included half of the Le Mans 24-hour winning AF Corsa team for the hypercar entry, were all in the running. In GTD AM, it was a very Teutonic affair with a pair of uh, Mercedes AMG GTs and another Ferrari 296 running in the top three, all on the lead lap. Interesting development. For some reason, one of the two Porsche cars kept uh, getting a technical infraction. The six car, the Penske cars were the six and the seven car. The six car kept, uh, got a couple of stop and go penalties for some sort of uh, technical infraction based upon energy, whatever. It's not important to the story. All you need to know is it got two stop and go penalties, which, which generally nerfed it and started whittling the field down to basically the number 31 Cadillac and the number 7 Porsche Penske. Incidentally, the number 7 car also had on board Joseph Newgarden, your current reigning Indy 500 champion. As the morning wore on at the front of the field, it became basically a two-horse race. The number 31 wheel and Cadillac had been chasing the number seven Penske, all morning. But as the track temperature came up, the Cadillac started to pick up pace, particularly in the hands of Tom Bloomquist, a.k.a. Stig Jr. He seemed to have the measure of Felipe Nazar, who was in the number seven Penske, and was able to close down the gap that the Penske had opened up over the evening. Back down in the GTD class, in the GTD Pro class, we had a very stout battle going between the Rizzi Competizione 296 and the number one BMW M4 of Mullen Motorsports. That battle kind of ended with about two hours to go when... Uh, cracked brake discs needed to be changed on the front of the M4. Incidentally, if you've never seen a brake change done on an endurance racing sports car, it is w incredible. They changed front pads, rotors, 
and discs in approximately 41 seconds in the pit stall. Unfortunately for them, they probably should have taken about 50 seconds to do it because they did one lap, had to come back in because the brake job hadn't been done correctly. At that point, that kind of took the number one BMW out of the race, leaving the 296 Ferrari, uh, the number 62 Ferrari, uh, alone by itself on its own lap with second place one lap down and third place a further two laps down. GTD AM had a similarly interesting battle going on, but it had been made fairly clear uh, late in the morning that the Windward Racing AMG GT had the pace to cover the other 296 Ferrari run by AF Corsa, the number 21 car. Um, it basically had pace in hand and was managing the race at the front. A long section of green flag running came to an end with about 40 minutes to go in the race when the remaining Lexus, uh, Vassar Sullivan Lexus, after its last pit stop, inexplicably burst into flames on the pit exit. Uh, that did bring out the full course caution as you can't run a race with a completely blocked pit exit. This is what set up the crucial pit stop. The 31 Cadillac was leading going into the final pit stop under caution, but it had pitted a few laps earlier in the previous stint, so it had to do a full fuel fill, which in this race was about 40 seconds. The number 7 Penske car, which had pitted a few laps later, actually only needed to pit. They were able to short fill the car, and then they were able to overtake the 31 wheel and in the pit. A restart with... About 20 minutes to go, saw the number seven car driven by Felipe Nazar out front. And despite the pace advantage that Tom Bloodquist had showed throughout the morning, he was unable to overcome the Penske car. Uh, the final gap was about uh, one second at the flag, uh, giving Roger Penske his first overall win in this race in 54 years. Also, giving Roger Penske an Indy 500 win, a 24 hours of Daytona win. Oh, and by the way, he did win a cup championship with Ryan Blaney in the interim. Uh, a very impressive year for a very old Roger Penske who, when interviewed in the pit lane, did in fact look quite tired. But he is known to stay up and watch the entire race from the top of the pit box. It also allowed Joseph Newgarden to join the club of people who have won both the Indy 500 and the 24 Hours of Daytona. That young man is having a pretty good time. All in all, it was a pretty good show. It did come down to the wire, but uh, in the end, Penske had the pace. In GTD Pro... In GTD Bro, the race was effectively over when the number one car had to go in for that late brake swap, allowing Rizzi Competizione to win the race in the 296 Ferrari. Interesting, as these cars are the same GT3 cars running the same spec that will be running globally throughout the rest of the year, it'll be interesting to see if this 296 Ferrari is in fact the GT3 car to beat throughout the year. In GTD AM, Windward Racing brought the win home 
in the Mercedes AMG, the number 57 car. The number 21A, of course, of Ferrari finished in second for that race. In LMP2, the number 18 era motorsports car came home for the W, followed by the 04 CrowdStrike racing car and the number 74 Riley car. That 74 Riley car is the car that had former Ferrari F1 driver Felipe Massa on board. Quick note on the winner in LMP2, uh, a young man named Connor Zilsich, 17-year-old, living his best life, uh, was part of that winning team. Uh, he's interesting to note because he is a driver that's actually coming from a NASCAR background and is signed with a development deal with Trackhouse Racing. We'll get more into Trackhouse Racing when we start discussing NASCAR, but... Uh, very talented young man, showed a lot of poise on the track, and it's a name we are probably going to be hearing a lot about in the next couple of years. All in all, it was a great show and not a lot of sleep for me watching the 24 Hours of Daytona. Uh, again, IMSA is putting on a really good show. They have so much manufacturer involvement. The driver field for that race was so stacked. It was a world-class field, and uh, very excited to follow IMSA for the rest of the year. Their next race is another race you may have heard of, called the 12 Hours of Sebring. That race will be happening March 16th, and we'll be having our eyes on that and uh, following this championship uh, for the rest of the season. All right, last up, we have Formula E screeching and squealing its way into Saudi Arabia for the Diria E Prix. This was a doubleheader event with uh, the first uh, round two happening on Friday and round three happening on Saturday. Uh, quali for Friday was not the order that we had in Mexico City. Everybody kind of thought Verline and Buemi were going to just kind of be ready to go and stomp away from the field, but no. The veteran John Eric Verne put the DS Penske on pole. Mitch Evans with Jaguar was on second. And Jake Dennis, last year's series champion for Andretti, was third. Of last week's podium finishers, we had Verline, who did manage to get through through the knockout stage. He was starting sixth uh, last week's Third place finisher Casty with Jaguar was in seventh, but Buemi was buried down in down in thirteenth place. As the race got underway, our top three runners got away in order. During the attack mode phase, Evans and John Eric Vern switched places uh there was a bit of a wheel banging incident they were a little sporty with each other moving in and out of the attack phase all this allowed andretti's jake dennis to kind of sit back and supervise the proceedings uh after john eric Verne and mitch evans had completed their cycles of attack mode Evan uh, Dennis was able to slip in for his last activation and get out ahead of the other two drivers. 
at that point, it basically ran in order till the end. Dennis taking home the win, but that doesn't mean it wasn't interesting because Jaguars' Mitch Evans seemed very determined with a couple of full send passes on John Eric Vern. Ultimately, his last pass attempt did fail in a spectacular fashion, allowing his teammate, Nick Cassidy, third place finisher from last week, to move up to third this week, dropping Mitch Evans down to fifth. So after 37 laps on Friday, we had last year's series champion, Jake Dennis with Andretti. Uh, Autosport Porsche Power finishing first. Jean-Eric Verne getting a good result for D.S. Penske in second. And Nick Cassidy picking up the sloppy thirds in third. Uh, Last week's winner, Pascal Verline, went ahead and recovered from a botch start, dropping him all the way down to 11th place early in the race. He recovered back to 9th. That brings us on to Saturday's action. And if you thought Friday was going to tell you what was going to happen, you are wrong. Everybody at the front of the grid was in mid-pack last week. Uh, At the end of qualifying, we had Roland in the factory, Nissan on pole, Fringe in the second of the Envision Jaguar cars in second, and Nick Cassidy from Jaguar in third. Uh, Van Dorn, Stoffel Van Dorn and the other, the DS Penske, did manage to get fourth. Um, a bad break for Sebastian Buemi. Uh, good result from Mexico. But in second qualifying, he managed to slap the wall so hard that the front drive shaft from his recovery system cracked the tub. Other than Nick Cassidy and the Jaguar, Friday's podium finishers did not fare very well in qualifying. Jeff did manage to get himself an 8th place starting position, but Jake Dennis with Andretti had a dreadful qualifying and started the race 15th. The pole sitter for Nissan, Roland, got a dreadful start, which allowed fringes on the dirty side of the grid to pick up uh, a position So he was leading going into the first turn. Other than that, the order was fairly steady until we got to the Joker lap phase of the race. Again, this is the part where they pull off for attack mode, clearing the line, allowing the other drivers to uh, pick up positions. What ended up happening is Roland and Fringes in the Envision and the Nissan respectively uh, did a little ding-dong with their attack modes on laps five and six but what nick cassidy did again another smart strategy just kind of sat there and when he got the lead in the rotation he managed to stretch enough of a gap by lap seven to take his joker lap get his attack mode engagement and rejoin the race in the lead From that point on, it was all about hitting the marks for Cassidy after all the strategy work had been done, and he was running clean and free until we had a yellow flag on lap 27. Daruvula in the Maserati had a regen failure. Giving up some of his lead towards the end of the race, Cassidy went into a conservation mode that allowed the top 10 in the field to concertina up and kind of form nose to tail with five laps to go. 
Ultimately, that did not result in much action, but it did look somewhat impressive on the TV. Kind of looked like a Moto3 race with everybody just running nose to tail. But in the end, Cassidy brought it home for Jaguar, picking up two positions during the race, going from third to first. Fringe ultimately ended where he started in second in the Envision. Roland in the Nissan dropped a pole position to drop to third, a very... um, Charles Leclerc style race for him. Jack Hughes in the first of the McLarens went from sixth to fourth. Stoffel Van Dorn in the first of the DS Penske's uh, dropped a place to fifth. Uh, Finestra in the other Nissan dropped or went from seventh up to sixth. Verline another mediocre day ended. Up picking up three positions during the race, going from 10th to 7th. John Eric Verne ended the race where he started in 8th. Gunther, in the first of the Maseratis, had a pretty solid day, pick going from 12th up to 9th. And Dennis, uh, the hit-or-miss man in qualifying, and Friday's winner went from 15th to recover back into the points to 10th. And that pretty much did it. For the Saudi E-Pre. What's interesting is Cassidy, with his smart driving strategy-wise and fairly consistent, I believe we've got three podiums in three races, puts him on top of the standings. The TCS Jaguar with 57 points. Pascal Verline, despite his rather mediocre weekend, is still second place in the championship with Porsche at 38 points. Jean-Eric Verne in the Envision Jaguar is third place in the championship with 33 points. Jake Dennis with Andretti with that win vaulting him up the board is in fourth place with 28 points. And Mitch Evans in the second Jaguar is fifth place in the points with 21 points. Uh, because of the loss of the Indian E-Prix, they're going to have a rather large hole in the schedule. The next time we'll be hearing from the Formula E boys will be March 16th from Sal Palo. All right, we have a little bit of news and or fluffy garbage right before the end of the episode here. Uh, Charles Leclerc extended his Ferrari contract for an indeterminate amount of time. Uh Both Charles and Ferrari being a little bit cagey, obviously with the 2026 rules set coming up. Uh, Neither the, uh, I suspect the driver wants to wait and see how the cards lay before he extends much past 2026. Lando Norris also extends his his McLaren Formula One contract beyond 2026, showing that he has faith in the process. And faith in the Papaya Gang, kind of tying his future to McLaren Formula One. Interesting side note, another Ferrari note here. Ferrari is going to go boat racing. I will resist the urge to make any negative comments about the outcome of that. But what's interesting is they are teaming up with Giovanni Saldini. Uh, we will actually be getting into some America's Cup and some Sale GP racing later in the season. Uh, this uh, Saldini gentleman, this won't be like McLaren's tie-up with uh, the British America's Cup team. Uh, this Saldini gentleman's more an ocean racing guy. He will race Transpac or pay, possibly maybe the old Volvo ocean race. So instead of a foiling catamaran, we're probably looking at... And Amaka 
70 with a dash of Corsa Rosa paint and a Cavallino on the code zero. All right, that's going to do it for our January 28th marathon edition of the Weekly Racing Roundup. We had a lot of action going on this weekend. Quick note, we are now on iTunes. So if you could take a moment to review and rate the show, it would help us out immensely here at the Racing Roundup. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for spending some time with me. My name is Race Car Dave, and keep the rubber side down.